Dylan. Hello. Hey. Dylan, Dylan, Dylan. How you doing? Good. How you doing? I'm doing good. So uh, I got to warn you a little bit. There's going to be a little bit of a lag on our line. Um, but uh, so we might cut in or something like that. But always remember you have right away as guest to talk right over me. I'll probably just, uh, you know, stop and let you go ahead. <laughs> sure. Stop the kids. All right. <clears throat> so uh, first off, you know, welcome to the show. Um, uh, I'm going to take a little bit of time to kind of introduce you. So, uh, you know, we met in, can I interrupt uh, you real yeah. quick? Yeah, go ahead. Before you get too far. Yeah. Wait, so at what point do you go back and do you like, uh, sound edit stuff? Um, you know, as, as best I can, I'm not really much of a sound engineer, so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just kind of. But you, you can, open you can it up. chop it up and you can chop it up and edit it to uh, to yeah. work as you need. Yeah. yeah. So if okay. you accidentally divulge any uh, secrets um, in the course of a conversation, you know, <laughs> I can. Yeah, I can <laughs> radio cut that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I have I've, I've already dealt with some requests for <clears> that, so that's uh, that's a service we provide. <laughs> Gotcha. Uh, okay. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go now. That was just my only question I had. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. No, n- nothing you say here is is you know uh, is cement and stone. We can totally take things out. Um, okay. Okay. Well. So yeah, Dylan. Um, I'm gonna you know just take this a uh, quick opportunity to. Uh, Give some background into how we know each other. We met in the uh, magical place, Rexburg, Idaho, um, and uh, magical, and uh, at least it was for us. And um, when I I met you, uh, when I started my internship, I don't think I met you beforehand. Um, my internship with Get Found First. I think that was the first time. Uh, we got acquainted, but we just so happened to be in the same um, class uh, that was it web development two. You remember that class with uh, yeah, I was terrible. <laughs> yeah, uh, they should have just called that um, as like PHP, you know, fire hydrant or something. It was absolutely uh, awful. Yeah, I remember that one. <laughs> Um, yeah. And so when I, when I had met you, uh, I didn't realize it, but you were, you were also in web design and development as well, right? Uh Uh-huh. That was your major. Yeah. Um, and then we had another class, was it two semesters later, interaction design with Brother Mehmet? Yep. 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 And uh, that was really good. I think you also were in the I- identity design class, right, with Brother Franson? Yep. Yeah, we, yeah, so we were in both design classes. classes together. Yeah, that was the same semester, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, when I met you, uh, 
you were um, already kind of uh, in in designer mode. Um, but uh, I mean, from previous conversations that we've had, um, it doesn't seem like when when you were growing up, you necessarily considered yourself uh, creative. Is that right? Yeah, I guess not in the not in the traditional sense of like uh, you know fine artistry or anything like that. I, I consider myself creative in the sense of uh, imagination. You know, I, I grew up with. Yeah. Uh, with a dad who would tell me stories before bed and every night it was a different story about this fictitious character who just so happened to resemble, you know, me and my little brother and her dog. And, uh, you know, in the imagination sense, I think that was kind of always ingrained in me, but not necessarily in the, uh, uh, in the arts sense. Yeah. So, you you know your dad telling you stories and things like that growing up is what what were some of the ways that you kind of felt like you expressed uh, a, a creative side? Well, I mean, like I said, with with those stories, um, I should even back that a little bit further. We uh, we grew up in this house that was uh, backed right up into this protected nature center, and so even though we lived right in the city we had miles and miles of uh, just protected woods and forests that, uh, you know, was every little boy's dream. So I think in the imagination sense, that's kind of what always got us turning. We'd go out to the woods and we'd build forts and we'd, you know, pretend like we're in survival scenarios or we would pretend like we were being chased by wolves or we'd pretend like there's monsters or trolls or you know, whatever else you could find back in these woods, it was always kind of the, the setting or the theme that we'd try and uh, uh, come up with just different crazy stories. And then these stories that my dad told us at night, I always reflected that as well. Uh, in fact, I still remember one of these stories that he told us about the, the red-eyed monster that lived in this cave. Um, and I, I remember that story in such great detail that I've actually in turn told that story to my son. Uh, but it's, it's a story about me. He doesn't really relate to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's funny. I mean, I think if I live next to a giant land of, you know, with wooded area, my dad told me a story, I don't think I'd ever go into the woods. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was fine, man. I grew up in a neighborhood where it was like the sandlot, you know. we There was probably 15 kids you know, all within four or five years of each other. And uh, we just lived in the woods, man. It was uh, it was just everything you could ask for. Yeah. <clears throat> so in, in, in going into the traditional sense of uh, kind of creative, um, when did uh, that start to develop for you, for um, you? You started getting exposed to graphic design and drawing and uh, manipulating visual imagery um, and, you know, yeah. what we call design. Yeah, so as I as I got older, um, I did take to the paper um, as frequently as I could, but I was never very good. Uh, I can tell you what I can draw. I mean, Daffy Duck and Donald, uh, Donald Duck and... <laughs> Bugs Bunny, you know, I got pretty good at drawing those characters. Uh, but then as I got into school, you know, they used to make you uh, wrap your textbooks in 
like the uh, the paper uh, trash. Yeah. Uh, what do they call them? Uh, like the trash sacks, right? Book covers. Book yeah. covers, and uh, yeah. that was always an opportunity for me to express my my creative right on top of my textbook. So yeah, it's a math book, but holy smokes, there's a lot you can do uh, with you know front and back. Uh, cardboard looking paper on that thing so i always liked to, do, to doodle i always liked to draw and uh i said never very good at it um i got into college i began to i don't know find a passion for typography um uh, specifically calligraphy in the sense of you know traditional uh you know calligraphy drawing um uh, for whatever reason I took to that, I really enjoyed it. I would write lyrics to some of my favorite songs um, or quotes or something like that, and I would just kind of do it in uh, you know, some sort of end style. Um, and then I was introduced to the world of Adobe, and things just changed, right? You get online and you see some cool things that people are doing in Photoshop. Um, and I met my wife. Her father worked for Adobe, he was kind enough to hook me up with a creative suite at a really young age before I even knew how expensive the creative suite actually was. Um, and uh, I remember going on Amazon and I remember buying Photoshop for dummies. And I remember getting that textbook and then ignoring all of it because it still made zero sense to me. But man, when I figured out how to work some of those adjustments and turn some pictures in black and white, except for one spot that I still kept the color, I felt pretty dang cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like that was a, a, a big thing to do back then, you know, where it's like, how did you keep the, the apple green and everything else black and white? Uh, it's such yeah, a dumb thing. I mean, considering there's apps that do it automatically now, it's such a dumb thing to look back and realize how hyped I was on it. <laughs> oh, man, like, I... I, I just a little anecdote for me. I remember um, after I, it might have been maybe my second semester at school with a design class, and um, it was like Thanksgiving at my wife's uh, parents-in-law um, or my parents-in-law, um, and uh, they they want to take a picture in me to like Photoshop it and. <laughs> um, uh, so <laughs> I couldn't even. Uh, I started like whitening people's teeth and started sharpening people's eyes and playing all sorts of like with the color balance. I'll tell you what, like it just looked Frankenstein <laughs> when I got through with it. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, I I I I I think I ended up showing them too much to my shame, and I don't. I think they were kind of worried about my, the future of my career. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, that was the thing. But you're talking about whitening teeth and you know, sharpening the color contrast and eye—that was some pretty advanced stuff, man. Right, but it's like, uh, <laughs> it, I mean, it's advanced stuff, but it's like you know, your souffle catching on fire, you know. <laughs> oh, totally. But uh, next thing you know, they got like higher features. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it probably anything to sell that creative club. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, so, what I'm still trying to understand, like what what what's 
spawn like this sudden creativity because I mean it was like really kind of I don't know like I feel like stars kind of like aligned um and maybe that's just you know looking back and you, you start having a bias and you see a pattern but um it's just interesting that you know all of a sudden you're you kind of take to calligraphy like you had never been exposed to it before and you'd seen it for the first time or yeah, I, I really wish I could pinpoint what it was that, uh, you know, had this explosion of creativity pop into my head. I, I don't remember exactly what it was. Um, yeah. I, I did have this idea uh, in my head. This was kind of around the time where uh, my wife and I were dating and we were getting ready to get married. I always had this idea of um, wanting to take design and I like the idea of putting out different mediums. Uh, one of the easiest mediums to put design on is, you know, T-shirts, right? And so I thought, man, if I could start yeah. a T-shirt company where it's just kind of fresh design, nothing that was like a big logo across the chest. You know, I don't want people to be walking billboard, but just fresh design, uh, almost like you're wearing a piece of art. That really resonated with me. Um, it was about that time my wife and I visited uh, a brother of mine in Florida, and we went to Cocoa Beach, where they have one of the original Ron John surf shops. Um, yeah. And inside of that surf shop, they've got just hundreds of boards up on these walls dating back, you know, to the 70s easily. And looking at the design on these surfboards, um, just as it's developed over the ages, and then, you know, looking at more of the modern stuff and how it really resonated with me, I was like, this is exactly what I'm talking about. This is art on a medium of surfboards. And I really was fascinated by the idea of like, man, I could create fresh designs and I could put it on anything. I could put it on a, a t-shirt. I could put it on a hat, uh, uh, anything like that I could wear. I was just really fascinated by it. It did end up starting a t-shirt company. <laughs> and it was, it was a good experience. Again, this was, um, <laughs> In that, the college days, um, that was kind of the entrepreneurial side that, that came out of me. But I remember buying a bunch of uh, blank white shirts. Uh, I've got a, a friend of mine who had a connection to, you know, get some shirts for pretty dang cheap. Um, and I found a connection. That we're talking in Rexburg, right? Rexburg's small enough. But I found a connection outside of Rexburg. In Rigby, this woman who owned uh, some screen printing and uh, digital printing equipment, and uh, I just went out of the limb and I said, "Hey, listen, what would you think about me coming down and uh, printing some stuff at, at your place? I'll provide my shirts, I'll pay for the ink. Uh, you know, what do you think?" And she was kind enough to let me do it. So before I knew it, I had, I don't know. 10 different designs that I was putting on these shirts and I was going down to Rigby and I was taking hours on a Saturday to just print design after design after design on all different size shirts. Um, very good. The quality wasn't very good, but data was something, and it was kind of that breath of you know, what I was hoping for. You know, here's my art on a medium of shirts and now I can wear something original and unique. Um, I ended up recruiting my brother to help me in the process. And he kind of had this little aspiring rap career. And 
he'd go <laughs> perform at different shows, and he'd be wearing one of these shirts that we printed. And next thing you know, everybody's wanting the shirt that he's wearing. And so I started selling T-shirts to all these people at shows. And uh, I tell you what, it came to a quick close um, when we ended up having our first child. I realized that I didn't have time for that anymore. Um, and it came to a, a kind of a sweet ending, but um, no, it was a fun experience. And that was, again, this was before I had taken any di- design classes. Um, it was before I'd really taken to anything, I don't know, legit as far as understanding design principles. Um, but it was a start. And again, it was kind of that creative spark that I had in my head based off some of the stuff I'd seen at that Ron John surf shop. Now it's coming to life on my own through my own imagination and onto these this medium of T-shirts. It was fun. It was fulfilling. Yeah. Huh. <clears throat> uh, I mean, I'm just curious also. How did uh, your brother's rap career do? <laughs> <laughs> um, so our last name is Winspear, and growing up, uh, all the coaches that we ever had in college always called us by our last name, but they'd abbreviate to something short and faster to say, right? So Winspear yeah. got abbreviated to Winnie. And uh, <laughs> my little brother, his name is Dalton, he went by the rap name of Winnie D. Well, how do you think a white rapper by the name of Winnie D went? Uh, for small town, yeah, for small town Rexburg, he was a big deal, and that's all that mattered to him. Be the big fish in the small pond. That's all it was, man. And he had his. 15 girl groupies that went to every one of his shows. And, uh, <laughs> you know, kudos to him, though. You know what? Let's pull it back even to this creative thing, right? He developed yeah. a passion for writing. And le- he is a very good writer. Uh, he was a phenomenal yeah. writer in the sense of uh, making lines work or delivering a message in kind of a unique way. He's a really good writer. He's got the yeah. most awful voice in the world. <laughs> I hope he doesn't actually end up listening to this, but you know, if he does, I've said it to him before. Um, well, I mean, then rap's the perfect, perfect outlet, right? You don't actually have to sing. Well, go and listen to Kevin Hart and talk about why he didn't have a rap career. He's got a really funny stand-up <laughs> about why he can't rap. Um, no, it, it was good. And yeah, he was expressing this creative gene that he had. Uh, through the medium of rapping. And, you know, he'd sit up in his room and he'd mix beats, uh, start putting things together. He did it all on his own. You know, so kudos to those guys who are going after it on their own and uh, making things happen. Right, right, yeah. I think we've all thought about having a rap career at one point, let's be honest. (laughs) You know, I actually haven't. However, much more of like a hardcore, like, screamo band, uh, that's actually oh, what okay. I've envisioned more often than not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there's a there's a side of you, yeah. I, I didn't I didn't realize. <laughs> Try not to express that side to anybody. Oh, okay. Well, if you ever do, let us know. That's probably going to be good content. We'll we'll want to put that on here. So. <laughs> and for as much crap as I've given my brother for his rap career, I would get like twice that amount if I ever did a screamo career. <laughs> Um, 
So, okay, we've, we, we, we've got you now, you're making these t-shirts, but um, I want to talk about you getting involved because uh, it, th- I think this is an example of, um, you know, kind of making opportunities for yourself and how important that is. And, mm-hmm. and that is how you got involved with Get Found First and what that experience yeah. was like. Yeah, it's a it's a funny story. So, again, as a newly married student, um, you know, I feel this urge to have to provide for this family that I'm trying to create. And my job on campus wasn't anything that was going to pay dividends in the long term. So I started looking for opportunities um, in a different field that I hadn't been previously exposed to. I had a neighbor of ours uh, in this apartment complex. She worked for this startup uh, in Rexburg called Get Found First. They were an internet marketing agency. And for them, she was their bookkeeper. You know, she kept track of all their records, their clients. Uh, Anyways, all small business bookkeeping. And she was graduating, leaving. And, uh, you know, she was kind enough to say, you know, be happy to put in a reference for you so that uh, they could be in an interview and you could take my position when I leave. I was stoked on it. Again, at that time, I had taken a couple of accounting classes as, part of, as a part of the business degree. And I was like, okay, small bookkeeping at a, a startup that can't be too difficult to sign me up. So I went into interview, very naive, and uh, wouldn't you know, after the interview, they gave me a call. And I did not get the job. <laughs> um, <laughs> they gave it to somebody who was much more qualified at bookkeeping. And, uh, you know, that's how it goes. But they, uh, they reached back out shortly after and said, we've actually got something else we'd like to offer you. And that is a position of business development. Um, and I was stoked on it. That was actually much more along the lines of something I was interested in. And uh, so I started working for Get Found First. I started cold calling, and that was really my entry to Internet marketing. For the next year or so, my role had evolved, and uh, as I learned more about the industry, I was working with a couple of guys at the company, and we were putting together uh, proposals, marketing proposals. Um, And I started to take that responsibility on as as time progressed as well. And in that process, I learned how important it was uh, to have adequate branding. And, you know, we put these proposals together to tell people about how we're going to drive traffic to their website or to this landing page. And um, it became very apparent that a lot of these companies that we were working with had terrible landing pages, terrible websites, terrible branding. And so no matter how much traffic we drove to the website, nothing was going to pay its dividends. Um, it was around, again, this is all happening at the same time of uh, the T-shirt company um, trying to express myself in these different creative mediums. I thought, hey, you know what? I've got this passion for design. I wonder if I could take that passion and bring it to more of a professional level uh, and start designing uh, these landing pages and websites and, and the branding that needs to go with them. So I took a shot at it. Get Found First was kind enough to let me uh, you know, take a whack at a couple of projects. And uh, it, that was really the light bulb moment for me where I started to 
blend this world of marketing and design into the same world. Uh, so this principle that I've been learning in my marketing degree, bringing it together with uh, some of these internet marketing concepts. So you know, we're creating landing pages, we're doing uh, new websites based around new branding, and uh, it was it really was the first time I had taken a swing at professional application to design. Uh, and that kind of shot off a different direction in my education. I then changed what I was studying and continued my marketing degree because I was so far down that path, but really kind of turned to web and graphic design. Uh, I started taking, you know, the graphic design courses, the type uh, typography courses, like mentioned the classes that you and I were in with interactive design, identity design. Uh, fortunately, I got to skip all the art classes that I never would have passed, like art history and color exploration or whatever it is that they asked those new art students to take. Um, and it was exciting, you know, so I, I got to learn some of the basic design principles. I was applying them every day at, at the, my full-time job. And... Uh, it was all starting to come together for me. Wow. You worked 40 hours a week during school? Yeah. At different times, it was – I mean, I worked for Gifon First for uh, almost three years. And so it changed throughout um, uh, throughout that time. There's some, some uh, semesters I only worked 20 hours or 30 hours. Uh, there would be sometimes where yeah. I do a full 40 hours and only take a couple of classes on the side. Uh, yeah, it just depended. Yeah. Yeah, that um, experience with uh, cold calling and all that stuff, um, I mean, I don't even have to ask it. I, I, I'm sure that uh, the skills of, you know, have learning um, how to sell and communicate uh, and talk to random people on the phone about something they know nothing about has been very beneficial in your career. <laughs> it, uh, you totally, know, you know, what? Yourself. Yeah. No, but it totally has put the step stones down uh, for a, you know the freelance career that I continue to lead right now. Um, yeah. it, 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 it's funny how I learned at an early stage different uh, principles, different ideas, different methodologies, different strategies. Uh, and I learned them before I really knew what they were. And I was taking them up before I actually had read about it in a textbook or before I read about it on an article on the web. Um, I was learning on site and, uh, and putting it to work. Yeah. <clears throat> and... Um... Yeah, you, I, I saw you, you did that branding for um, Get Found First that they still use. It was a new logo with the G, and it's got the arrow that was pointing up. Um, yeah. yeah, I thought that mark was dope. I, I, I liked it. So I appreciate it. it, it was, um, you talk about a spark of inspiration. Uh, it, that idea came to me one evening, and I, it wasn't even while I was at work. It came to me one night, and I started sketching it. And I started putting it together. I started evolving the branding all around it, and I presented it to the yeah. owners, and they were stoked on it. And it wasn't until a couple months later yeah. that I realized, man, if I take the Burton logo and turn it sideways, 
<laughs> it's very similar to this brand that I just did for Get Fun First. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, that turn is all that matters. So, <laughs> You know what? That actually is a whole other subject that we should probably uh, spend time on in a different podcast episode. But the idea of consumer behavior and mental models, uh, that I, I firmly believe that the whole idea of that Get Found First G logo that I did, that mark that I did, uh, uh, stemmed from some subliminal uh, ideation I had done around. I mean, I'm very passionate about board sports, uh, specifically snowboarding. I'm a big Burton fan. Yeah. So I'm sure it worked its way into my design somehow without even me recognizing it. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah, there is um... – <laughs> Well, I mean, it, this one's not as, as as far as a stretch to like incorporate. But I, um, a friend of mine, uh, you know, she and this other designer um, got together and were branding a podiatrist. Um, mm-hmm. uh, their their offices, and uh, they picked this one logo, and you know, it had a you know pick, you know a, a feet in there in the logo and cause they're podiatrists and stuff. And, mm-hmm. uh, it's like a footprint and he hated it. Cause it's, gosh, it's so obvious, <laughs> but you know, what, right. what are you going to do? He's like, I know I've seen that somewhere before. And so he, you know, he's, he's doing internet research. Like where have I seen see foot logo? Oh, yep. Ninja turtles, the foot clan. <laughs> uh, I tell you what, yeah, man, those yeah, mental models, it's just like, they work their way out. <laughs> um, and get found first. Uh, startup called uh, a levity. Is that levity? Is that how you pronounce it? Elevati. Elevati. Uh, I dad come in. Yep. All right, Elevati. <laughs> uh, so who are they? I. I never saw them. Uh, I, I must have left around the time that they started up in Rexburg. Yeah, Elevati's a, a, a cool story. Um, from the beginning, um, I was taking a class. Uh, again, it was a consumer behavior class on campus, and it just so happened to be on a semester where they had an adjunct teacher fill in for another professor who went to go teach in Hawaii for the semester. Um, this adjunct teacher came in, was Brian Haney. From day one, you knew that Brian Haney was a little bit different. You know, he taught in a a manner that was much more real-world applicable. He had pretty much taken the curriculum from day one and put it aside and said, listen, I'm going to teach you this in a way that I only know how to teach. And uh, it really caught my attention. And he and I started communicating outside of class. I uh, was picking his brain quite often. Um, in fact, he and I would go grab lunch together to talk about some of these uh, strategies and some of these concepts. And it, it's kind of awkward when your professor's paying for your lunch, but it's really cool. He's just a very down-to-earth guy. He's, he's a young guy, and you know, I looked at, at him as more of a friend at that point in time than a professor. Um, Brian knew about uh, my passion for design. Uh, at that same time, Brian was teaching on campus, he was also doing his executive program uh, at the MBA uh, grade school. 
And in his MBA program, uh, he became friends with uh, another guy, uh, Nathan Gwilliam. And Nathan had started Adoption.com probably about 20 years ago when he was a BYU student. And uh, he had progressed Adoption.com to a pretty uh, sustainable company. And it was around that time where he walked away from the company, uh, gave up some equity, and pursued some adventures. Um, right around that time of my graduation, Nathan had purchased Adoption.com back and was going to hit the restart button on it. Um, Brian had introduced me to Nathan, and uh, I gave Nathan my resume, uh, some of my pitch as far as blending marketing and design together. And the next thing I know, this guy, Nathan William, who had a very successful career in uh, not only Adoption.com, but other social media marketing, uh, he is reaching out to me and he's wanting to bring Adoption.com headquarters to Rexburg. Uh, we're going to put it underneath this parent company called Elevati so that we could also operate the other adoption uh, domains out of that same parent company. So we also owned adoption.org and legitimately hundreds of other domain, domains all around adoption as well. So that's what Elevati was, um, or I should say is. It's changed a little bit over the years, but uh, Nathan and I and the CFO, his name was Cameron, uh, we, again, hit the restart button. Now, this startup was a little bit different, only in the sense of it had investors who would put, you know, the dollars into rebranding this project and, and restarting it. Uh, they had moved corporate offices from Arizona, where Adoption.com was located, and moved it all the way to Rexburg. Uh, the staff that they had on board in Arizona was let go. I mean, they legitimately, they cleaned house, and they started over. And I had this cool opportunity to learn from someone who uh, truly was skilled in his craft, uh, learn a little bit more about social media marketing, and then take a 4 million page website, which was adoption.com, and give it an overhaul. It was a big undertaking. We hired out a, a good size design team. Uh, I think the largest was when I was there. There was eight of us. And... Uh, yeah, it was fun. It was a, it was a new experience for me. Yeah. Wow. Well, what was your role there? So they gave me the title of creative director, which when you're at a company of only, you know, a couple dozen people, that title doesn't mean a whole lot. Completely recognize that. Um, but my role and responsibility was I actually managed our design and social media teams. Um, we would have a full-time social media manager and at different points, uh, social media interns. Uh, we had a full-time designer. Uh, and, you know, I think we hired a couple of designers and we went through a ton of different interns uh, over the course of that time I was there as well. Yeah. So where do you start on a website project like that? <laughs> Jeez. Uh, you start where the investors tell you to start. <laughs> That's the short of it. <laughs> well, we started with uh, a new logo. Uh, we built some branding around this new logo. 
and we looked at site architecture, figured out where that needed to go, uh, and then legitimately it was just what is our most frequented pages? I mean, we've got tons of analytics. You've got a four million page website. I mean, the amount of traffic that was being driven to the site on a daily basis was insane. I've never worked on anything this large. So we just went to where the traffic was going. We optimized around it. We you know, kind of gave things facelifts. Um, as time progressed, we were rolling out new features. Uh, we were going out uh, new pricing structures and new strategies. Um, but the short of it was, you know, we went where the investors asked us to go, and we went where uh, our users were were needing uh, to take more action. Yeah. Who who are the investors? Uh, was it was it like a, a bunch of VCs or? What? Yeah, they were. Uh, there were two private investors, or maybe three private investors. Uh, they were based in Arizona. I had the opportunity of meeting them once um, while I while I traveled to Arizona. I got to meet with them and give a little presentation to them. But they were they're good guys. They weren't necessarily. Uh, creatives or passionate about adoption, but they believed in you know, Nathan and some of the guys who were uh, running this, and that was enough for them to jump on the opportunity. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, what, what kind of, um, you know, at that point, see, this is uh, what year, 2013, 2014? Yeah, somewhere right there. Yeah. I feel like um, the word UX was still kind of a new thing at that point. Um, oh, totally. And uh, I don't even know if people really called it UX design by then. Um, maybe they did. Uh, it, in, in, we, in our interaction design class, we learned principles of uh, – um, interactive design, uh, so to speak, which would kind of later become UX principles, uh, you mm-hmm. know, user testing, um, uh, learning words like affordances, uh, and, uh, you know, learning how to um, dissect a, an object and say, you know, what does this object tell you it can do and things like that. And um, what, did you apply any of those tools um, in your uh, direction at uh, Elevati? Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, I, I worked with a really talented designer there as well. In fact, you may know her from design classes as well, Crystal Kent. Um, yeah. She was first design hire. Um, I really liked her style. I, I liked working with her in classes. Um, she was my first design hire. She and I together were taking those things that we were learning in class and we were applying it to this redesign. You know, UX design is it's kind of what we've called it now. Honestly, I think it was, I think for a lot of people, it was just an evolution of what we were doing, you know, much earlier. In fact, I've got an older brother who's been a designer for 20 plus years. Yes, he does UX design, but, you know, 10, 15 years ago, they just called it graphic design. You're always applying the principles of, you know, user-driven decisions or database decisions or 
the best user experience. You're always applying those principles, but it was just housed under this term of graphic design. You know, then we started getting a little bit spiffy with the words. We saw, started calling it, you know, this isn't just graphic design. We're designing user, user interfaces. And then not only are these user interfaces, you know, just what they're seeing, but how do they work and how does a user experience them? Oh, new word, user experience design. And, you know, it's just kind of evolved from there. I think there's a lot of designers yeah. who have just changed their title throughout the years without really even changing the workflow. Um, yes, we were applying principles of user experience. I, I still think before we actually had that term user experience yet. Yeah. What's parts of the workflow that you feel that aren't being changed that need to be applied that people are missing out on? I, uh, so I then went to another startup after this, and at the next startup, everything I was doing was user-driven design. Um, that's kind of when the term UX design started to coin. And uh, some of the things that I would recognize from, you know, applicants who would give me their, their resume, you know, with the big title of, you know, UX designer, what I wasn't getting from these interviews was any sort of user-driven information. You know, I, I think a UX designer should be uh, very close to the data. Uh, UX design, should, in my opinion, should be data-driven, right? How can you be driving off of data um, if you're not close to it at all? A lot of companies separate UX, uh, I'm sorry, would separate the data and design. They wouldn't blend the two together. But that was one of these principles that we were picking up I can get found first when we're doing landing page optimization, right? Uh, you're doing A-B testing. That's a part of UX design. You're doing, uh, you're creating personas that you're designing for. Uh, you're uh, just testing different models. You're doing interviews. You're doing focus groups. I mean, it really was a true blend of uh, marketing background meets design. And I, I think that's the work piece that uh, a lot of designers are missing is, uh, the the business behind design, and uh, yeah. I, I think that's kind of where UX should fall. Yeah, they could even call it. Um, you could you could interchange the X instead of experience. Just call it an experiment because <laughs> you are kind of right. experimenting with uh, your users. Um, totally. Um, if you don't have any of that data, then it's it's not user centered. It's just user assumed. Uh, user assumed design. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You know, um, one of the things that uh, that I also see a lot of people, or I, I should say, I see a lot of people. I've seen in the past a lot of people you know, just kind of bicker or argue over. You know, I think it should look like this, or I think it should look like this. Uh, especially at startups, when everybody tends to be involved in these things. And the truth of the matter is, and, and I learned this early just because I didn't like to argue, is I don't care what we pick. Let's do them both and let's test it. Yeah. And that really is kind of the, the start of UX design. Yeah. Yeah, I, totally. It, once you get this idea of you can A-B test, um, it, it really kind of, first I think it kind of, you know, everyone gets puzzled in has a brain fart all of a sudden, like, wait, what, what, what? <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, we'll just let the data tell us what to do. Oh, 
well, I guess I can't can't argue with that. <laughs> and that's exactly. one, that's one of the things I love I love about the the principle is that you take a um something that's very subjective uh in design and you, you turn it from being less of an art to more of a science and you can make it objective. Mm-hmm. Um and then there's no ego around it or hopefully less ego. Um less battle between the designer and the client. Um, in fact, you shouldn't even be fighting for yourself. You should be, you know, like Tron, I fight for the users. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, okay, I so one last question. In... Oh, no, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I remember being uh, in some of these identity design classes or interactive design classes. And, uh, you know, we'd have a given project the whole class would turn around their, their final, their piece, and we present it in front of everybody. And, you know, let's say, for an example, the project was redesigning a homepage for a library. Um, I think there were people in that classroom that were much more talented in the sense of design and aesthetic and you know, making things look pretty. Um, but what they were missing was the business behind it, right? Sure, your, your homepage looks pretty, but... Oh, what is a user doing when they come to this library website, right? They're looking for something. They're looking for a book. They're looking for some information. They want to know if you have it. Uh, or maybe they want to know what the status is of a book they've already checked out, right? Is that front and center to them, you know, as they visit the page? Or what is this full screen image of the library building doing? And how is that helping in anything? I felt like I was kind of like the cog in the wheel in that class going, great, that's pretty, but it won't work. And, uh, yeah. you know, in art, you know, coming from my business degree where, you know, in accounting, two plus two is always going to be four, right? The books are always going to balance. There's always a one, you know, resolute answer. As I switched to design classes, that was never the case. And it drove me bonkers. But as you start to bring the data back in, you can drive to a more right answer as opposed to a subjectively right answer. Yeah. Yeah. And I was one of those uh, students that was making it pretty. I remember that project. It wasn't even that pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I'm that. Sure it was very we had, pretty. <laughs> um, we had, I, I remember Brother Mehmet pulled up Sterling's and <laughs> I feel so embarrassed just exposing myself this way, but it was just like a search bar practically. That was his website. And I was like, well, that's dumb. And Brother Man was like, he got it. Nailed it. I was like, Sterling. (laughs) Well, you're talking Sterling, who was at Get Found First as well, right? Yep, right. Yeah, he was. And I I tell you what, that was driving off of user-based design. I mean, Sterling was designing landing pages and creating these uh, oh, marketing strategies where click-through rates were calculated. And there's a huge difference between 1% and 1.5%. And that difference could be, you know, how great is the user experience? Right. Yeah. And that's, um, <clears throat> I think that, you know, we talk about these graphic designers. Uh, I think that they come in and just, you know, paint UX design on their, um, resume, uh, which I mean, you know, 
I think as every industry changes, you're going to have that, right? Nobody's hiring for just graphic designers, or they know that's right. what they, they want to go into UX design. So you kind of have to uh, take yep. on a role that maybe you're not fully qualified for. But I, yep. you know, I think organizations are can still struggling to realize that they need to blend those uh, uh, different skill sets, those different uh, um, uh, buckets really together in order to make it mm-hmm. uh, a really successful experience. Absolutely. Yeah, because that's one thing that we didn't also get um, in our interaction design classes that we didn't really get data. Um, oh, no. We, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, we we created personas kind of like drawing a circle around where we shot an arrow, you know, drawing the target around the arrow. And it's like, well, I, I think this is who my user is. So I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to write a yep. persona about it. Um, yep. And that's not really effective in the real world. So, um, well, we, we got way deep in the weeds on that one and that was good. That was great. I think that was quite <laughs> a lot. But um, we might have to break up your life story into two episodes. Uh, <laughs> um, That's all right. If which, you find it interesting enough, we can do that. Oh yeah, sure. Because we haven't even gotten we haven't even gotten some of the juicy stuff um, that comes no, later on. I think. Uh, yeah, but uh, let me um, let me see. Okay, so yeah. Let me ask this one question. You, you're, you're, you're balancing design and social media campaigning um, as a you know a creative director at um, uh, Elevati. Elevati. Yeah, <laughs> I almost said it wrong again. Um, and. Uh, how do you – I think that's something that you still kind of keep up with. How do you, uh, how do you implement um, across these two fields? And, and you at least had – you had some background. You were at Get Found First. You were already doing the marketing, the numbers, looking mm-hmm. at data and analytics, making decisions off of that, and doing design at the same time. So you were kind of born and raised on that. Somebody who's – maybe in design and uh, is is not used to managing social media, where would they be even begin with that? Um, I can't yeah, have a tough question. There's a lot of overlap <laughs> um, between UX design uh, and internet marketing in general. If you know, again, going back to what we were talking about, a true UX designer who's being close, who lives close to the data, uh, there's certain metrics that we're following, right? And you're looking to see which option or which test is moving the needle a little bit. Um, we're doing banner ad design. You know, you're trying to design a banner ad on, for a website that is going to, you know, hopefully garnish if you're really good. 2% click. Uh, from that click, they go to a landing page where you hope that maybe if you're lucky, you're going to get 1% of people to fill out the form on your, on your website. And so we're talking, you need to drive astronomical numbers 
uh, and then just play this, this small percentage game and uh, try and do it for as, as cheap as possible, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same story when you go into social media marketing. Um, we're putting together, uh, I mean, we'll talk specifically about adoption.com. We put together a Facebook page uh, based around passion as opposed to just like an adoption.com Facebook page. Uh, we called our Facebook page, I Love Adoption. And we did that based off of uh, looking at uh, our, our users, our industry, and what are people more likely to, to resonate with or feel a, a pull towards, a business page that says adoption.com or a business page that goes under this title of I Love Adoption. Uh, we based it off of a passion as opposed to a business um, we knew that's how our users resonated. Uh, we started throwing some money into Facebook advertising where we've got, you know, little image ads popping up. This was, again, early Facebook advertising days. Uh, you basically have little image ads that pop up down the side of your feed on Facebook. And if we can design these ads to play towards a feeling or an emotion or a passion, we were going to have much higher percentage clicks. So we were, uh, you know, in our prime, we were getting fans to our Facebook page for less than a penny per like. Uh, that was always our goal. Is we're not going to pay more than a penny per, per like. So when we're pumping in, you know, $1,000 a month into it, we're really increasing this page's following very rapidly. In the span of the, the nine months that I was there, I mean, we, Darnest, maybe 100 and, 130, 140,000 followers on our Facebook page. Um, uh-huh. And it was all geared around this idea of well, what are our users wanting? They're not wanting to follow a business. Heck, you, I, anyone listening, you're not really seeking to go follow a business page, all right? You know, I like board sports. I couldn't tell you if I have followed Burton or if I followed, you know, any skate or surf company just for the sake of following them. Uh, mm-hmm. But if there's something called, you know, I love snowboarding or something about the mountains and powder or something like that, yeah, I'm going to be much more pro to go and like something uh, along those lines. It's a matter of just understanding your audience, who you're designing for, uh, and thinking the way that they would think. And that's user experience design. The the numbers, the metrics, the things that, uh, that follow, you know, you can learn that kind of stuff as you go, but it's really just as, as long as you're focusing on that end user and trying to put yourself in their shoes, that's really how things started to come together. Yeah. <clears throat> how did that... um. The, that that Facebook page come about was that like from brainstorming session with a bunch of people was that like top down from Brian? Um, I mean, you took that uh, consumer behavior um, class mm-hmm. with him. So, um, well, where did that uh, really spark from? The idea of doing this passion driven page uh, actually really came from Nathan. Uh, he had been working previously at Deseret Media, um, and they run a ton of social media across uh, you know, all of Utah. So 
local news stations, um, you know, everyone does their advertising through Deseret Media or, or it's owned by Deseret Media. And he took their social following over the course of 18 months, like, uh, I think it was like a cumulative number of like 100,000 followers across multiple platforms and turned it into like 18 million in uh, just a span of, you know, a year or two. So, I mean, he really turned the thing on his head based around this idea of passion-driven uh, social marketing. And he kind of introduced me to that concept. I followed Zoot, and we did it for adoption.com. And, you know, what do you know? It works again. Yeah. Wow. It, it's actually really fun to do in, in the sense of as a designer. Um, you know, we would put together, say, a cover photo for Facebook. And how do you design a cover photo for Facebook? You could be cute and you could try and do something unique or original. But the thing that we had most success with was finding photography that made you smile. And it was funny how we could do four or five iterations of it. And there, without a doubt, there would be one photo in there that everybody would point to and be like, that's a cool picture. You know, whether it's uh, uh, some kids smiling and laughing or a family enjoying their time, I mean, there, there'd be something that would just trigger your mind like, that's it. And you can see it. And I still, to the end of the day, use that, uh, you know, when I'm designing, you know, these freelance design projects, which one of these is going to resonate? There's tons of good photography out there, but which one is going to make the most sense for what you're using the application for, and which is really going to, you know, hit that passion inside somebody. And uh, that was one of the principles that we followed in building those, those big social followings. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, it it seems like you know you've uh, uh, you had a lot of, of opportunities to be around some like really uh, influential people. Um, in you know your life uh you know it, we kind of briefly mentioned it you know but get found first uh you know Stu draper um mm-hmm. and uh you know we got brian and, and nathan now as a person um who may not feel uh, a creative or who may not feel like blessed um to have been around uh influences or um, doesn't have any in his, in, in his or her life at this moment, what would you do to maybe encourage the opportunity for that person to add some advantageous contacts into his network? You know, it's funny. Um, I think I briefly mentioned to you when you we were texting or talking earlier, uh, the name Gary Vaynerchuk. Vaynerchuk is yeah. a, a business marketer. He runs a, uh, a YouTube channel. He runs podcasts. I mean, the guy is kind of like a motivational business speaker. And what you're going to hear me say stems a lot from some of his ideology. And it's simply just after it. You know, it, you can sit around, you can talk about the ideas, or you can do it. You know, you can sit around and you can wait for uh, an opportunity to fall in your lap, or you can reach out and get it. Um, you know, as I've talked with my wife or talked with other friends, 
my connection that I made with Brian when he was my adjunct teacher uh, filling in for a semester, that contact has done more for me than uh, maybe some of any of the other networking I've done. I've had so many relationships spur from that one connection that I made with that professor. And, and that all came to be just because Brian and I walked out of the classroom at one time, uh, you know, one class together. And as we were leaving, I was making fun of him because for a guy who, as influential as he is, he didn't have a LinkedIn profile. I had no way of connecting with him. <laughs> and so I was harassing him because here he is talking about how we need to be networking. We need to be, you know, surrounding ourselves with good people. And yet this dude's not even on LinkedIn. And so... <laughs> You know, that's kind of where our conversation stemmed from. And uh, it's just a matter of getting out and trying it. You know, if you, Gary Vaynerchuk says, you know, if you want to be a uh, a hip-hop mogul, go find Jay-Z. Go find somebody close to Jay-Z and try and connect. Send a direct message. Send an email. Try and, you know, find out who's around his circle and try and connect. And then uh, see how you can find a way to get in. If you want to become the next Mark Zuckerberg, then go work at Facebook. If you want to learn more about uh, Amazon or you want to be closer to Elon Musk and some of his ideology, then go work for one of his companies. Um, it's really putting yourself out there, meeting people, uh, connecting with people. It's, it's networking one-on-one. It was one of the concepts that I thought just drove me nuts in college because I always hyped up this idea of you got to be networking. And as a person who doesn't really like to go outside of his social network, it was always a tough concept for me. But it's a key differentiator. How are you going to fall into the lap of somebody who uh, is going to need you at the right time or need to connect you to the right person at the right time if you don't know people, you know, if you don't have a a circle of influence that uh, is beyond just a couple of your friends and family. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, they, they, well, they promoted that a lot at school. I remember seeing that it's, uh, they would say, Oh, you know, numbers show it's not what you know, it's who, you know, that get you into you opportunities. Know. And, um, <clears throat> I felt like they were kind of, uh, you know, that was, um, uh, associative data, but it wasn't causation data. Like <laughs> just because they knew that person wasn't the only key factor. I mean, and how do they get to know them? Like it, you know, it wasn't by uh, setting off a LinkedIn request. <laughs> you know, it, it's but, uh, crazy, dude. And I, I tell you about how that one connection leads to another connection. Uh, through Brian, I've met a lot of great people. Uh, and, some of those connections that spurred different relationships and friendships. Um, but it was really funny. I was actually at dinner with Brian uh, just a week ago. And as we're sitting down, we're eating sushi. And uh, he takes a phone call in the middle of our dinner. And he apologizes. He says, you know, I don't normally take phone calls, but uh, this is the CEO of Burger King. i got to answer it. And I just cannot stop <laughs> laughing. <laughs> The CEO of Burger King is calling you at 8 o'clock on a Thursday night. It was just so random. But, again, you meet somebody who's well-connected, stay close to them, create real friendships, uh, and good things happen. Well, you know, when the king calls, you know. (laughs) When the king calls, the answer. Right, yeah. Well, (laughs) that, that is a funny conversation. 
<laughs> well, um, let me see. We we've got uh, really far down to this, but we we've talked about some good stuff, and I'm glad. And I think that um, this is a pretty good place to wrap up. Uh, but maybe I'll just ask one more question, and then uh, I'll let you go. And then we can kind of pick up from what happened after um, Elevati uh, that continues on to where you're at now with Domo um, cool. and some of the other you know, projects you got working on. But one last question I got for you, um, and this is epidemic, I feel like, um, in, the creative, in the creative space. And I know for me personally, you know, I, I, I struggle with it too, but you seem like a guy that doesn't have a whole lot of self-doubt. But if you do, what form does it take for you? And how do you co- combat your self-doubt, negative talk, um, the, 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 the things that kind of freeze people in a, a, a creative space up? Uh, you know what? I, I appreciate the compliment. Um, I... I, I, I would, geez, it's a hard one to even answer. Um, I don't consider myself um, a very confident person. I don't consider myself uh, a very, uh, I don't know, a get out there and, and try it kind of person. It takes work and it takes effort to get to that point. You know, I'm sitting in my office right now in my, in my house and I've got a couple posters up on my walls and, you know, one of them says done is better than perfect. The other one says experiment, fail, learn, repeat. And these are just kind of ideologies that I have to try and drive into myself because it's not natural to me. Um, I, I try and gain confidence from uh, those around me or from uh, you know, any any way that you go about gaining inspiration. You know, I listen to speakers or I listen to uh, music or I'll read a book. Um, you know, I just finished another, a book called uh, Shoe Dog. It's the Phil Knight story, the guy who started Nike. Um, and that book was just phenomenal. Talk about a guy who had this uh, – just this hunger and this drive to get after it and to do. Yeah. He's got an amazing story and it was inspirational. You know, it, it's going to hold a place for me um, as something that, uh, you know, I would try and strive to, to be more like or work towards. Um, but then there's also the finding inspiration in places where you wouldn't typically look for it, you know, in the design sense. Right. You know, I, I read uh, the American Sniper book, the summer uh, go back, you know, and you learn about, uh, you know, his story and you, you understand some of these characteristics or personality traits or some of these experiences that he's gone through. And, you know, some of them I, I want to ingrain into my life. Um, so it's really just trying to, to learn from the things that are around me to experience different uh, philosophies, the, and trying to adopt them into my life. And it's not easy, man. And I hit dead walls left and right or dead ends left and right. Um, I hit uh, roadblocks or, 
you know, just uh, creative, just, you know, brain dumps. And um, I try to get through it like any other designer gets through it, right? Time, effort. Uh, I don't know if there's a magic button for it, but it just, it is a struggle. And I don't know if anybody's got a magic pill for it. Some people act like there is, but, you know, <laughs> if it works for me, then I wouldn't be having this conversation. So I, it's just one of those things that, <laughs> I'm constantly battling. I'm constantly trying just to get it out there, test it, refine it, try again. Yeah. 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 It's interesting that you um. Yeah, you brought up a uh, uh, the American sniper uh, Chris Kyle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, <clears throat> a buddy of his. Um, you, you've listened to podcasts. You might know who he is, uh, Jocko Willink. Oh, I haven't heard of the name. Okay, yeah. Look him up. Um he is uh a Navy ex Navy SEAL. Uh he wrote a book called um Extreme Ownership, which is uh all about leadership and uh this idea of uh, merging some of the lessons learned from combat um as a leader and applying it into a business world where, you know, lack of leadership accountability, uh, you know, bogs down organizations um, and it makes them ineffective in any way. But, you know, I would listen to, I, I was going through kind of a, you know, a period of struggle in my own life where, um, like, uh, every day I, 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 I literally had such a hard time. And uh, I would listen to his podcasts every now and then, Um and I, I I appreciated his, his kind of tough love flavor, right? The soldier on, mm-hmm. you know, I'm mm-hmm. a, you know, kind of be aggressive. Um, I'm going to get after it. I'm going to do it. Uh, some days I didn't want to hear that message at all. <laughs> sure, um, sure. But, you know, because you just get tired and you're just like, no, nah, today I don't need any input. But, uh, yeah, just that ability to, um, you know, and user experience design, right? Iterate. You know, you can always. There's always another iteration. There's always a, another step. Um, perfection is a, a progression of steps, probably. Um, and success. I think I, I've, I've kind of learned that success is a little bit like uh, painting yourself into a corner and figuring out how to get out. <laughs> that sure, uh, absolutely. Yeah, success. Success. Is, it doesn't just happen. You you have to put yourself in a space where you're not comfortable and then you have to figure out how to grow. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. But it's uh, kind of this take yeah, it till you make it mindset, right? Uh, yeah. Fake it till you make it. Some people I think interpret that as in, you know, BSing and being inauthentic is the ideal, but I think, I think rather what, you know, that message is trying to say is that you're not going to be who you want to be by staying the way you are right now. You have to, yep. you know, have to get behind the wheel of a car in order to learn how to drive it. You um, have to pick up a basketball and dribble and mess up um, in order to become a great player. Uh, it, Here's another book for you that's uh, maybe uh, you'll probably like. I love it. It's called The Art of Learning um, mm-hmm. by Josh Waitzkin. 
And he talks about, you know, going in Tai Chi and getting knocked down all the time. Um, and his butt handed to him. And his teacher says, you know, this is your investment in loss. And that you need this investment in loss to become great. And yeah. I just thought that was such a beautiful way of putting it. Because uh, now when I feel like I'm losing, I realize, okay, I'm just investing in future success. Sure. Um, yeah. But you know, going back uh, to that, I, I, fake it till you make it. Yeah. Going back to that fake it till yeah. you make it kind of that you made I think you're absolutely right. It's not about uh if you're fake you're not valuable to anyone, right? Uh, it's not necessarily put on this front or this facade uh, and try and BS your way through it. But it's it's more about stretching. It's more about trying to attain something that's just beyond your reach, right? If you're a designer and you want to be able to charge more than fifty dollars for a logo then put yourself in a scenario where you can design something that's more than $50 worth, you know, uh, get yourself around businesses who are going to look for something of higher caliber, higher quality. I remember the first time that I had charged more of a competitive wage for a logo. And I was like, Holy smokes, I've got no idea. They're going to even bite on this. Why would they want to expect that from me? <laughs> and next thing you know, they, they accepted the proposal. They go ahead they went ahead and sent me a check. And then I went, Oh crap. Now I've got to deliver on something that's, to that caliber and that quality. And I put more time and effort into that branding project than I had in any other project. But now that's become part of my regime. You know, it's been part of my workflow for any time I do a branding project. Um, and it wouldn't have happened if you don't just stretch a little bit, try and progress a little bit more, a little bit further. Right. Right. Definitely. I think that's an awesome note that we, uh, that we hit on that we can finish off of. Um, Dylan, thank you so much for coming on and being a part of this and, you know, shedding, uh, uh, shedding some of your uh, uh, knowledge um, that you, you've garnered over the last uh, many years since, you know, we've been around each other. Um, and we're going to do this again, and we're going to pick your brain some more. And maybe by that point we might have some uh, input or questions from listeners. Um to, to add on to my, my own personal questions that I got for you, but uh, yeah, that'd be awesome. Before we go, is there, I appreciate you yeah, having me. Uh, yeah, but before we go, is there a, what, what's a good place to find you on the internet? Um, yeah, um, I've got an Instagram and a, and a web domain that are the same. It's windspeardesigns.com uh, on Instagram. It's just windspeardesigns. Uh, there's been seeing some of my my work that I'm. Uh, currently pursuing, uh, but I'd like your note if there's you know if there's any questions that any listeners have or uh, you know if there's anything we need to talk about next time I'd, I'd be curious I'd love to answer those questions. Um, again, thank you for having me. Thank you for uh, for reaching out. I'm glad to uh, know at least one person finds this madness interesting. <laughs> yeah, you might find out there's a lot more of the just one person that find it find it interesting. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Uh, Thank you so much for your time. Have a great night. Get some sleep. You're probably not going to. You're probably going to be up late working on stuff. I like understand that. But uh, that's who you are. You're getting after it. So. Yeah. Appreciate it, man. All right. I'll talk to you later. Thanks, man. We'll see you.